Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Lauren. Mike. When is the last time you visited the website The Hairpin? It's been a while. Why do you ask? Uh, You should go check it out right now. Right now? Yeah, right now. Okay, hold on. I'm going to do this. Okay, wow. Um, Talking with an actual tiny house future resident, dream interpretations, the ultimate guide to wearing a jumpsuit. (laughs) What's the who's the most important person in your life? Question mark testimonies. It's a little different from the hairpin I remember. This is not the hairpin you remember. It's not. So what's going on here? Maybe something has happened to it. Maybe somebody else owns it and runs it. It's it sure looks like it. All right. Well, our guest today is going to explain what's going on. All right. I'm intrigued. Let's talk about it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Michael Calori. I am the director of consumer tech and culture at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. We are also joined by Wired senior writer Kate Nibbs, who covers culture, media, and artificial intelligence for us. Hi, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Welcome back to the show. And we also, as a special bonus, we have in studio the person who is your boss and mine, Wired's executive editor of news, Brian Barrett. Brian, welcome back. Thank you. And I like to think of myself as your friend and yours. (laughs) (laughs) Management speak if I ever heard it. I think the last time you were here was 2022. We talked about Peloton. Yes, we sure did. Uh, Do you still row, bike, run? I, I still bike. And Mike, I've added some strength training. Ooh. I don't know if anybody's noticed. Who's your, who's your favorite strength training instructor on Peloton? Got to go with Adrian, right? I thought you were going to say Rad. No, I haven't. Adrian's well, great. Maybe I need to give Rad a chance. Rad Lopez. I'm familiar. He's, he's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. Always a Ben fan, too. Respect. Do you meditate on Peloton? <laughs> I do. I tell you what. Uh, sleep meditation, yes. I feel like, is a cheat code. Ross Rayburn. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> Also, Krista McGee. <laughs> this is just the podcast now, everybody. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we're not talking about Peloton or sleep meditation this week. <laughs> can we can we also just add the context that this isn't just Brian's 
first time back in the podcast studio, he actually left Wired and came back to us. He did he, a boomerang. He did. He went on. He went on a long journey of um, self discovery. Let's call it that. We're so happy to have you back. I'm happy to be here. And Kate, of course, thank you for joining us. I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> Well, the thing that we are talking about this week is terribly exciting. It's domain squatting. It's a business model as old as the web. Somebody will scoop up a domain name that used to host a website but has since been abandoned. The person will then launch a new website at that domain and fill it with content that has a good chance of showing up in search results for commonly searched phrases. You've probably landed on one of these zombie websites yourself when you clicked on a search result for a news story or an article offering some advice. You may have wondered what's going on. Domain squatters have been doing a pretty good business for decades, but the explosive growth of generative AI tools has given the practice a significant boost. Now, Kate, you fell into this world of AI-empowered domain squatting recently when you visited the Hairpin, the site that Lauren was just checking out. Tell us a little bit about that experience. It was a very shocking experience because the, the hairpin had been one of my favorite websites in the 2010s. Like I, I, I would definitely describe myself as a hairpin super fan, so much so that when I moved to New York to be a writer, I like talented Mr. Ripley my way into being friends with some of the writers because I admired them so much. And the way that I found out that the hairpin had been turned into a zombie uh, version of itself was because I'm in a group chat with some of the former editors and they were all very alarmed and confused about what had happened to their work. And I thought, well, actually, I'm a tech reporter, so I should probably like look into this for you guys. And um, Brian is nodding right now, by yeah. the way, as our executive editor of news. Thumbs He's like, up get after it. Yeah, I love when stories come to you via the group chat. It's it's a real life hack. Um so yeah, I, I was like, let me see what I can find out. And I actually didn't have to do that much digging because when I emailed the email address that was on this new weird hairpins website, the owner responded to me and was surprisingly open to talking about what he had done to the website. What sorts of articles was this new owner publishing? So it was a mix of AI-generated articles um, that were, there was a lot of stuff about dream interpretation. Um, there was some like really generic relationship advice, just stuff that you would never have seen on the old hairpin because the old hairpin was very, it was a blog, it was like a women's general interest blog ostensibly, but it published a lot of very like eccentric humor writing and a lot of voicey conversational, like one of the um, headlines that you read out as like the weird new hairpin was actually an old hairpin headline, the jumpsuit one actually. But the content that exists on the zombie hairpin is like the exact opposite of the content that existed on original flavor hairpin. Instead of being very like idiosyncratic and voicey, it's just generic nonsense. I think that's the part that seemed especially weird and troublesome to me as someone in media. I guess like I have been in digital media for so long, I sort of now expect that my work from previous 10 years ago might not still survive. So I, I save PDFs of it. Like I, I've learned to do that on things that I really care about. And you see like the messenger shutting down, all of those stories are gone. So I think that's become a part of just being a journalist line is recognizing there's some ephemerality to it. But 
it's not just that in this case, it's sort of bastardizing what was already there and sort of turning it into this sort of remixed, gloopy, um, nonsense garbage um, under the old name. I would almost in some ways, maybe not prefer that it just go away uh, <laughs> than be turned into this like zombie thing that goes against everything that it stood for. I mean, Kate, when you talk to, is that sort of the, the feeling from the group chat to, to the extent that you can share group chat confidentiality? But um, yeah, how, how are the writers and, and editors feeling? Yes. Yeah, so I reached out to a bunch of them separately and asked them to speak about it on the record. So I can definitely say that people were very upfront about how disappointed they were on behalf of a lot of the freelancers who didn't really have the opportunity to save their work as PDFs. And for a lot of them, it was uh, some of their first published clips, like things that have a lot of sentimental value and they didn't know that they were going to need to save. So there was just definitely a feeling of palpable disappointment that they didn't have a heads up that this, their work might be going away. Um, oh, cause what I should have said earlier was that in addition to the AI generated articles, there, there were some of the original articles republished, but the author's names had been removed and they had been replaced by generic male names. And then like the, the story art had been changed too. So you'd get in these situations where like Kelly Conaboy, who was a really fantastic humor writer and journalist who wrote for the hairpin. One of her articles is still up there. It's about celebrity teeth and how all celebrities have veneers. And instead of her name on the uh, story, like as the byline, now it's just some random guy's name. And so yeah, technically you could still read her writing, but it's been stripped of all context. It's like it her name isn't even on it anymore. And it, it just is definitely, I think, worse than it just disappearing for good. Mm-hmm. And when you wrote to this new owner of the Hairpin Domain, he responded to you and you ended up learning quite a bit about his life. You wrote in your story on Wired.com that he was actually kind of a nice guy, not this chortling villain who you would picture him to be. Um, how does he explain what he does and why he does it? And also, how do you pronounce his name? <laughs> so I, I might not do the greatest job pronouncing it, but um, it's uh, Nabojo Vujinovic and Vujo. Uh, Vujo is kind of the name that he goes by. So we'll, we'll just call him Vujo. Um, so when I emailed him and asked him some questions about the hairpin, he he responded to my questions, but he said, I... I have another story I want to tell you, actually. And so I made an appointment to Zoom with him the next week. And then we ended up talking for like almost two and a half hours. Uh, He was very forthcoming. He he doesn't think that what he's doing is good. That that was why I ended up kind of liking him, because he was he wasn't really trying to defend himself. He was more just trying to explain himself. And I appreciated the candor. Um, he is aware that he is making the internet worse, basically. And he thinks it's inevitable that the internet is going to be filled with like AI-generated nonsense. And so he just thinks he might as well make some money playing a small part in in like a thing that he sees as unstoppable. And I'm not defending him. Like I, I, I don't think that what he's doing is good either. I very much wish he wasn't doing it. And I feel terrible for, you know, the writers and editors at the hairpin, but um, yeah, he is very self-aware that he is not 
uh, doing anything admirable. I'd like to learn a little bit more about how he's doing what he's doing. So he's publishing articles that are generated just by gen AI tools. Are there humans involved? Is he is he just publishing these things uh, automatically or is he doing it manually? No, there's humans involved. And that was one of the points that he emphasized was that even though he was a purveyor of AI generated slime, it was AI generated slime with like a modicum of uh, quality <laughs> control. He does have an editorial staff. Um, he has a digital marketing agency called Chantel uh, that is like, that's his main business. And so he has the staff, they used to uh, outsource the writing of this kind of article because he's been doing this for years. He's been doing this before generative AI came onto the scene. Initially, he would go on different domain auction websites and look for URLs that had a good reputation and then buy them. And he would fill them with human-generated content that was just very like hastily written for SEO purposes. And he would hire bloggers from like different platforms like Fiverr and Upwork and basically gig, gig workers, he would pay small amounts of money to fill his websites. With AI, he he had like a team of full-time editors. And now instead of coordinating with these gig workers, they'll just use ChatGPT to generate the articles. And he claims that they fact check them. I don't, I don't know if they do, but he, human eyes see them. I mean, the best jumpsuit is kind of subjective. <laughs> is it though? <laughs> is it? Sorry to interrupt, Kate. Please continue. Yeah. So it's not totally automated at all. It's basically just that they use ChatGPT to generate a bunch of articles very quickly because the hairpin was just one of uh, many, many websites that he's doing this on. Like he was surprised that I asked him about the hairpin because it's not one of his more popular offerings. Um, so it's, there's a lot of content that he's putting up every day. Kate, and that's one thing I, I did want to ask you about too, because it's not just the hairpin and there are some really big name sites that I was surprised to see in your story. Um, do you mind talking through some notable examples that you've seen and, and you know how he came to get them? Sure. So he told me like the most successful site that he has is another women's website called The Frisky. Um, he purchased that when it shut down because of, you know, digital media complications. And he his first year, he said he made half a million dollars running it. Um, and that's, you know, he said it changed his life. Like he, he had sort of just been dabbling in domain squatting before that, but uh, its success made him turn it, this into a full-time career. Um, he His favorite website that he he has squatted on is a website called Pope to You. And it was <laughs> Pope Benedict XVI's original like official website which is just insane to me because it's like pope the letter two and then you that is what the vatican picked out wow. <laughs> like what they wanted and um when he stepped down uh and the new pope came on the scene somehow that website got lost in the shuffle and its domain went to auction and Vujo bought it and he was super excited about it. And he just thought it was like the funniest thing in the world that he owned this website. 
Uh, and he did make a big point to tell me that he really didn't want it to offend anyone. And I will say that that, that website actually had my favorite, uh, like I, some of the content, I was like, "Yeah, this isn't that bad." There was a there was a post about how the Pope wears red red shoes that I found like genuinely kind of informative. Um, the site that like made my jaw drop when he told me about it was um, the website for Apple Daily, which mm-hmm. is a, a newspaper that was Hong Kong based that's been around since the '90s and is like very culturally significant because its owner, Jimmy Lai, is a very outspoken critic of the CCP and uh, government corruption in China in general. And he used the newspaper to really advance like a pro-democracy platform in Hong Kong, and he, he got arrested for it. And once he got arrested, and so did several of his editors, um, Somehow the domain, they lost control of the domain, Hujo bought it, and now he's filled it with content that is basically like the exact opposite of what used to be on Apple Daily. And it just, uh, as much as I talked to him and saw him as a human and sort of understood his motivations and was like kind of getting on board with how he was justifying it, when he explained the Apple Daily thing to me, I just... It made what he was doing very apparently grimy and uh, damaging mm-hmm. because he had taken this important news site and like the articles that he's put on there are the most insipid things you've ever read in your life. Mm-hmm. It's like 45 wishes for teacher. Uh, so it's just mm-hmm. stuff that he's not even trying to pretend has value. Um and so it just made like the scavengery nature of his mission uh, very stark. And he told you he he doesn't really care about politics. Like you asked him about that and he didn't seem concerned at all that this is happening at a time when the Chinese Communist Party is cracking down on freedom of speech in Hong Kong. No, he said he loved China as well when I asked him about it. <laughs> um he was very adamant when I talked to him that he not he was never going to publish anything politically provocative. And he explained himself by talking about how he uh, is Serbian, but he was born in Bosnia. He had to flee during the fall of Yugoslavia. He had lived through a war. Um, he really didn't want to put anything into the world that could be seen as politically divisive. And I do still believe that his motivations were sincere and that he really doesn't want to put anything on the internet that's politically divisive, but he was definitely very unwilling to recognize that the the act of purchasing a pro-democracy website and then emptying it of its political contents and filling it with insipid nonsense is in fact a political thing to do. Um, He didn't, yeah, he didn't really seem to acknowledge that aspect of what he was doing at all. All right. Thanks, Kate. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back and talk more about this. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. 
Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I, N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Kate, how widespread are clickbait farms on the web? And is Vujo representative of the type of person who runs one? There's actually not that much quantitative data about how commonplace this sort of thing is now. I, I just actually recently interviewed someone who works for NewsGuard a, tr- because I'm trying to get a handle of, of this, the landscape here. And they did say that they've seen a massive uptick in AI-generated clickbait farms that they found, but it went from like zero to numbering in the hundreds for what they've they've been able to track. I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I would love to see Google do some sort of uh, in-house analysis, but right now there's just a lot of stuff we don't know about, uh, like who the major players are. I I th- I hope that people are like Vujo that are misguided but not outright malicious. But he's, I think he's the only one who's been interviewed at this point. So I, I don't know. Um, the person from NewsGuard who I talked to for a, a sort of follow-up article that I'm working on um, did mention to me that they have found a few different incidents where the clickbait farmers do seem politically motivated. Um, but that by and large, they seem motivated by money. Like it, it Primarily, this is a money-making scheme before anything else. Kate, you mentioned Google in there. I am curious, how good a job is Google doing at catching these clickbait farms, at deranking them? I mean, clearly, Vujo is making a lot of money still. Um, is it a game of cat and mouse? And if so, uh, what more could you know search engines be doing? It definitely seems like a game of cat and mouse. A lot of the SEO experts that I've talked to to try to get a better handle on like what the larger landscape looks like. A lot of them have actually been um, more defensive of Google than I thought they would be. Like they've, I heard from several people that, you know, they thought Google was trying its best and that it was gonna hopefully make big improvements soon. Um, when I talked to like Google reps, uh, I was actually a little taken aback by how they seemed to downplay the issue. Um they pointed me to pre-existing rules that they have in place and didn't seem to be like they didn't admit that they were working on any sort of uh, analysis that I'd like to see them do. They didn't they didn't seem to be super on the ball. I hope they get on the ball. I actually 
I'm concerned by how far behind the problem they seem to be right now. Hmm. So what happens, maybe all of us can weigh in here, what happens when the entire idea of SEO changes? It's, it's how we've been operating news sites for a very long time now. It Just to, as a quick explainer, search engine optimization. It means we're publishing <laughs> stories and headlines that we think will basically get, get page ranked in such a way that it's our our work stands out on the messy internet. But some people are saying now that that's going to go away with the way that generative AI is changing our browsing experience. So like what happens to all these clickbait farms in a post SEO world? I think that it all depends on what Google does. Like if Google really does figure out a way to downrank these sites systemically, then I think that they will have to pivot because their business model won't work. I just, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Like, I haven't gotten any sense that Google is actually taking this seriously or is going to be able to get a handle on it. Like, unless, unless search just ends as we know it altogether. Like, I... Yeah, I really don't know, but it, I think it all depends on how the search engines respond to this issue. And as of now, I'm not super optimistic that they're going to respond in a way that actually curbs it. I want to toss this to Brian, who I affectionately call Brian GPT, because you are very good at SEO. <laughs> I don't, I don't, well, you're not, very good, not intentionally. Not intentionally. You're very good <laughs> at crafting smart headlines for our stories that also... They, they're grabby and not in a clickbaity way. Well, thank you, Lauren. I, and, I, and I guess I, to the extent I think about SEO, it's more like, do we have the product name in there? But I do think like a grabby headline wins, uh, no matter whether it's humans or robots. Um, I, I think what I find interesting about this dynamic is the more that Google and others uh, try to uh, really foreground generative AI in results and as results, uh, you know, sort of giving you a summary of what you searched for with maybe a few links at the bottom. Um, This is going too far. I'm not, I don't actually want to say this, but I'm saying close to Is that that different from a site using generative AI to turn out? Because everyone's just drawing from internet chum to turn it into a nice little package, right? So whether that's Google or rather that's our, whether that's our friend in Serbia, um, I do wonder about the longer term effects of just sort of these regurgitated pieces of information, um, both on on every level. I I, I worry about it. Professionally, I worry about it, but also just as a consumer of content and someone who enjoys getting information that is reliable uh, and consistent and comes from a specific human rather than a sort of melange of um, what various sites have had to say along the way. Um, I don't know. So I, I, I am anxious about, uh, for the same reason I'm anxious about what happened to the hairpin, I am anxious about what is going to happen to search. Um, it's not, I'm not saying that they are directly equivalent, but uh, it, it, it rhymes. 
<laughs> if you look at the tools that the biggest players in search are building, like Google and Microsoft primarily, they're building these these interfaces where you can ask a question and get a, a result that is not like, go read this article. It's a summation of all the articles. So I think what you're saying is that, you know, we're we're in a, a new world now where we're going to be asking a computer for information that is going to be looking out at a sea of information generated by computers to give us an answer. And that answer is now muddied because all the data out there that it's reading and that it's collating is bad. Yes, I, I think, yeah, I think so. I think I think you get in this sort of recursive place where it's yeah. uh, AI-generated responses based on AI-generated content, based on AI-generated problems. It's, it's uh, all the way down. So yeah, I, I, I worry about a little bit of a spiral there. And Kate, you know, Vujo in your story, at the end of your story, uh, he told you that he thinks that this is the future of the internet, that the the future where AI generated articles are like competing against human generated content for search engine rankings and like winning more often than not, he says that's inevitable. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I can't imagine that that comment landed with anything other than like an icy shattering thud. It, I think it probably landed with with me uh, internally despairing, but I don't know. It you know, I don't think he's wrong. A as of now, what's happening to the internet? And again, like there is Google and the other search engines permit AI generated content and have not given us any indication that they are actually capable of quality control. What Brian was just saying makes me think they really should be more concerned about quality control because the tools that they're creating that are meant to keep you in their search engine where they're collating the information that they get off the web aren't going to work well if the web is chock full of AI-generated nonsense. So like you'd think it would behoove them to clean up the initial search results. But again, I'm not, I'm not seeing action here that would suggest they're taking it as seriously as they need to take it. I'd love to be proven wrong about that. But yeah, I think as if I had to bet on this, I would bet that Fujo's right. Never bet against Fujo. <laughs> no. <laughs> he does know a lot about search results, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, obviously, if I was in charge of Google search at this moment, I would be seriously questioning just automatically deranking all AI content, even though some of it is helpful. But until they get some sort of quality control going that works, I don't know. I just don't see a way out of the internet devolving into like the slime fest that Vujo thinks it's going to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Kate, thank you for this uplifting conversation about the future of the internet that we're all going to be living in very shortly. We yeah, appreciate you joining in. us. <laughs> Maybe. Anytime. Uh, stick around, though, because we're going to take a break and we're going to come right back for recommendations. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Luna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. 
The festival also features diverse vendors as well as a specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. All right, welcome back. This is the last part of our show where we go around the table and everybody gets to recommend a thing that our listeners might enjoy. Kate, as our guest, you get to go first. What is your recommendation? I'm recommending a novella by Ray Naylor called The Tusks of Extinction. Um, Ray Naylor is a really terrific, uh, pretty new sci-fi writer, and The Tusks of Extinction is just bonkers. It's about this scientist in the near future who gets murdered by poachers and then her consciousness gets uh, frozen in a computer for like however many years. And then she's eventually, her consciousness is revived and inserted into the brain of a woolly mammoth that they've brought back from like a de-extinction company has brought back. Um, And it's like really sad and, and I loved it. So you guys should read it. Nice. You say a novella. It's not a. It's not a long book. It's a short book. Yeah, it's like eighty pages. So oh, okay. it's a quick, quick read that will make you probably cry if you're like awesome. me. Awesome. What's the name again? The Tusks of Extinction by Ray Naylor. Excellent. Thank you for that. I hope that's not your rec, Brian. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Brian, what is your rec? Uh, so I'm celebrating my return by once again recommending a work of literary fiction because I know that our listeners love it when I do that. Uh, It is The Bee Sting by Paul Murray. Uh, It is a very long book. Um, It's (laughs) approaching 700 pages. It follows, uh, from shifting perspectives, an Irish family um, in modern times navigating various uh, personal, interpersonal, and financial calamities. It's terrific. The Bee Sting by Paul Murray. Wow. Is this a new book or is this an old book? It came out within the last year okay. or so. That counts as new. Yeah. Does it take place in Ireland? It or? sure does. Okay. What, what part, part of Ireland? Uh, I'm going to say not Dublin, um, a somewhere outside of Dublin. I forget the town. Sorry. I didn't know there would be a quiz. <laughs> I, I didn't know there were towns <laughs> of outside, of Dublin. outside of Dublin. Some <laughs> of it takes place in Dublin uh, okay. when people go to college there. But it's 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 great. It's a, it's a... Uh, he's a brilliant writer. Um, I've been a big fan for a long time. Another book by him is Skippy Dies uh, w- uh, at the end. Which, anyway, anyway, so please go ahead and um, actually, can we cut out that last part? <laughs> no, that's great. It's truly, that's great. Brian, I'm in the middle of reading it. Yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> so we're really Kate and I are. Wow. <laughs> wow. Same way. Solidly. It is so good. But wait, why does he like the, fi- sorry, I know. Mm-hmm. This won't be part of the episode. No, this is the podcast. Why now. is Instagram in it? Why not? It's set in t- 2009. Instagram didn't exist. Oh. Uh, uh, did yeah. it not exist? I think it was acquired in t- early 2012 or 2011. So it might have technically existed then as bourbon, which was the precursor. It's an, it's an anachronism. There's an anachronism going on. It's been bothering me because I'm still in the cast section. And I've been like, why are they on Instagram? I remember interviewing Kevin the financial in the early crisis. days. And I think it was like 2009. <laughs> Would Sorry, they have it in weird Ireland? Flex, but I know okay. I was gonna say I don't mean that as a flex. I'm like literally going back. I was working at the Wall Street Journal. And I remember that was the time frame. So Well, hold on. Does it do they explicitly say two thousand nine in the book? Or are we just mapping that on the financial crisis? Oh, I was I got I might be mapping it on the financial crisis. Because I because I think financial crisis started in two thousand nine. Eight. Eight. 
Well, in fall. Ireland, in Ireland, okay. oh, or in Ireland, yeah, two thousand eight. So two thousand eight, two thousand nine. But I think the, I think part of it is just they're dealing with the repercussions of the crisis. So I'm, I'm giving it a little okay. bit of grace to say it. it okay, <laughs> okay, but it is early, early teens. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. Excellent. Sorry. Okay, good recommendations from you both. <laughs> Lauren, what is your recommendation? My recommendation is partly inspired by Brian's visit to Wired. I'm trying to give up heavy coffee drinks in favor of more tea. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's my recommendation. I'm already a tea drinker, but I was having tea and a lot of uh, lattes and cappuccinos and espresso drinks with with foamy milk. Uh And then recently, another friend of mine, shout out to Tomi, who listens to this show, um, was pointing out all of the ingredients that are in some of the store-bought nut milks that so many people enjoy these days. And it kind of freaked me out. They're also very caloric, not to be confused with calore. Thank you. And, um, and so I'm, sw- I'm switching to, for a while at least, switching to, to drip coffee or, or batch coffee. Um, and yeah, just trying to, I mean, I was like having like three or four coffee drinks a day so you're primarily concerned not about like caffeine intake but you're concerned about just like all the stuff all the stuff in the that's now in coffee yeah just no and and also today happens to be the start of lent Mm -hmm. so i figured why not give it up why not give up the the foamy coffee drinks that's a that's a good thing that's a good thing i'm giving up avoidance for lent I appreciate you. <laughs> okay, that's a good recommendation. So drink more tea. Drink more tea and and maybe cut back on your coffee if it's something that you've been trying to do. I'll report back on the level of headaches I have. <laughs> Mike, what's your recommendation? Blue Sky. Oh, I've say re- more. I've recommended it before in the show. Uh, it is a social network. It looks a lot like Twitter. It looks alarmingly, some would say embarrassingly like Twitter. It also functions like Twitter. Also, some of the executive leadership team is from Twitter. Uh, it is a, a microblogging platform where posts appear in a feed that is organized in reverse chronological order. There are likes, there are comments, there are no direct messages. Uh, but it is a fun platform that has sort of a f- vibrancy to it now that people have started signing up for it. Signups used to only be available to people who had an invite code, but Within the last week, it's opened up, and now anybody can sign up for it. And I highly recommend getting on the Blue Sky train. You may ask, what's wrong with Twitter? What's wrong with X? What's wrong with Threads? What's wrong with Mastodon? Uh, There's quite a bit wrong with X and Twitter. But uh, as far as Threads and Mastodon go, they are, like Blue Sky, all part of the emerging Fediverse, which is the network of networks where we can freely exchange information between networks. So I like Blue Sky's aesthetic. I also like the vibe there, the people who hang out there, uh, the people who I interact with. It seems to me like the community that is the most rich, the most fun, and the most wide-ranging of all of the platforms. So that's why I'm recommending Blue Sky. If you haven't checked it out because you didn't have an invite code or you're just like, I'm over it, I'm over all social networking, I recommend that you log on and try it out. And Kate, you spoke to Jay Graber about Blue Sky recently for Wired.com. I did. Jay, Jay Graber is the CEO of Blue Sky and she, I, I have been a Blue Sky fan like since its launch and talking to her like only reconfirmed that I'm really rooting for them. I think they're not perfect at all, but I think that they're trying to do something really interesting with social networking and I want them to succeed. 
Nice. Well, we can hang out there together. I'm Snack Fight. You can find me. <laughs> I'm just nibs. <laughs> and also, Threads is boring. Yeah, Threads is really boring. And they make you use an app on mobile. I don't get that at all. It's supposed to be open to the web. Why not just, what? what's wrong with the open web? What is wrong with the open web, Meta? And Threads is not very good at threading. No. I mean, part of the toxicity of Twitter was logging on and seeing all the angry responses that people had to the original tweet, the OT. But you open threads and you can't, there's no like discourse. It's just just like a life hacker posting a big chunk about how they woke up at 4 a.m. and took a cold plunge and, you know, successfully raised his 10 million VC funding. There's lulls. There are lulls. There are lulls. I actually do appreciate what the brands are doing on threads, having a lot of fun with it. (laughs) Do you now? CeraVe is, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I do. I have to say, they're quite clever. Bookshop.org, throwing shade at Amazon all the time. Love it. I'll say too about threads. I have no followers there, and that feels like a threads problem. That feels like, because who wouldn't (laughs) want (laughs) to to read my threads? Truly. (laughs) You're guaranteed like one every two weeks or so. Yeah. Threads is interesting, too, because Moseri is just threading through it. Oh, boy. He's just become customer support on threads. Yes. That's the man who runs Mm -hmm. it, by the way. Okay. Well, thank you all for your recommendations, and thank you all for joining us. Kate, thanks for zooming in to talk to us about Vujo and AI-fueled clickbait farms. Hi. Thanks for having me. You guys know I love talking to you. Uh, you can read Kate's story on Wired.com, including the follow-up coming soon. Brian, thank you for joining us, sitting down with us this week. Great to be back. Thank you all. So great to have you in studio. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback for us, you can duet all of us on TikTok. Just check the show notes. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth. We will be back next week with a new show. And until then, thanks for listening. He lived through a war and so he was very adamant that he never wanted to pull at me thing 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 pull sorry kate kate you glitched sorry you glitched ai kate i'm reed Hoffman, and i'm aria finger if you're interested in learning about how technology and humanity can come together to make a better future and possible is for you. We invite ambitious builders and deep thinkers like Trevor Noah, Kara Swisher, Sam Altman, and so many more. Help us sketch out the brightest version of the future and what it will take to get there. If you want to be part of the future today, then subscribe to Possible wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.